Hello, and welcome back to Talking Talmud. I'm Ann Gordon here with my friend and Chavruta, Yerdena Azband. Our daf of the day, Masachet Moed Katan, daf Tet Zion, page 16. So both Yerdena and I felt today, as we're preparing this daf, that it was really a marked contrast to yesterday's very organized, systematized system of all of the different cases that can happen that have impact on who's going to do what, when, with regard to Cholamoid, Avelut, etc., learning Torah, those 10 plus categories of things that you might be forbidden from, the things that you have to do, and so on. And it was so, we could make just from the Gemara itself, you could so easily fill in a real nice chart, you know, and I think, Yerdain, I think that you really set it up that way in, you know, the most chart-like version that one could make with with words alone. Um, today's daf, I believe, is kind of the way that we've seen elsewhere. There's a discussion of halacha, and then there's some narrative piece of something that happened that's an application of the halachot that were discussed in, you know, in a more abstract way or a more theoretical way, and then suddenly here we've got the concrete case to back it up. I feel like this daf has a significant, like an unusual number of concrete cases that I think kind of fundamentally back up the outline, let's say, the table of potential different cases that we had in yesterday's stuff. The reason that's particularly challenging in today's stuff, however, is that it's not as if the Gemara says, now we're going to have an illustration, for example, you know, for, for case A, example B, we now have the illustration for it. It's not that, you know, it's not that streamlined, it's not that articulated. So instead what happens is, and I'm sure many of you have felt this as you've gone through the text of the daf, it feels a little bit like, wait, why is this case here now? And what is that case doing here now? And how does one connect to the other and the other and the other? And I'm not sure that they necessarily do as much as they kind of connect back to yesterday's daf. Now, I haven't made a chart that does this, you know, that takes today's daf and lines it up with yesterday's. So it's possible that this theory would not, you know, would not actually play out if I really tried it. But um, I think that it is still the the essence of the way the two dapim um, work together. Um, Yardena, you have any comment before I go on to my example? No, I, I, I think that was a great way to set it up. Like yesterday was hugely organized and super tight. And today's dap is really, you know, a series of stories in a way to teach us what the halacha wants to teach us. They're using narrative to teach us the halacha as opposed to very streamlined reasoning, which was the process of yesterday's stuff. Right, exactly. Okay, so again, as I did yesterday, I want to do uh, a mini deep dive or whatever into one of these cases, one of these stories of exactly what happened. So we've got, the Gemara tells us, I'm here on Ahmed Aleph, Hahu tabacha pakar tuve barmatana. So there's a butcher, that's a tabach. The butcher behaved in a manner that was, says, it's basically from the word hefker, right? It's a, behaving in a disrespectful way to Rav Tuvi Barmatana. Not very nice. Imnu alei Abai v'Rava v'Shamtuhu. So Abai and Rava were therefore, like they were appointed to the case, meaning they were the ones who were supposed to decide what to do about this butcher. And what they decided to do is Shamtuhu. They ostracized him, right? Meaning they put him in the status that is the, the minor Ex- excommunication, I meaning it's not as strong of a, of a, um, I don't know what, an isolation, let's say, as compared to a, a true excommunication, but they've put him in the category of ostracizing. La sof azal paise le baldine. 
So in the end, the butcher went and he like he made nice. He went and he appeased the person who he who had he had gone to the Din Torah with, meaning Rav Tuvi Bamartana. So then Abai says as follows, I'm Abai, Hechi Leavid. So now Abai says, What should we do? Meaning he's made nice, right? Do we uphold the status of ostracizing him? Or do we let him go? He says it usually would have 30 days of that ostracizing period, and then you'd be let go, right? Meaning that's that's the normal standard allotment of time for that status. So the so this is a question, like they haven't had this time of ostracizing for 30 days, but on the other hand, he made nice, so maybe he should be let out of it. So what happens is the concern is then, what about the other members of Chazal, right? The sages want to go in. What do they want to go into? They want to go into his butcher shop and they want to go buy their meat from him, which they cannot do if he's in the status of being ostracized. So then what are they supposed to do with regard to him? Meaning on the one hand, there's a halacha to uphold. On the other hand, he's made nice. And on the third hand, you'll forgive me, there's an external, <coughs> excuse me, there's an external motivation to be more lenient here because by putting this butcher in the status of being ostracized, they're messing everybody up. So he says, Abai, he says to Ravidi Bar Avin, did you ever hear anything with regard to such a case? Meaning, do we have any precedent to work off of? So this is what this is what he says. Ravidi Bar Avin has something to say to him. So Rav Tachlifi Bar Avimi said that Shmuel said as follows: Tut Asar Vetut Share. What's a tut? Um, literally, the sound tut, right? Meaning it's a shofar blast, right? That the same way that the shofar blast at the time of doing this formal process of of um, ostracizing um, makes it kicks it into action. Now he's you know being ostracized. So too a tut, you know, the next shofar blast. Share it unties it, it releases it. So Abai says to him, Oh, I'm sorry, let's just clarify one more thing. So the idea is that they could show they could blow the chauffeur now, and then that would be that. Meaning, if they blow the chauffeur, then everybody will know that the time of ostracizing will be over, and it doesn't matter that 30 days haven't passed, there'll be an, an official announcement, so to speak by virtue of the shofar blast. So Abai says to him, that makes sense, that is true, that is halacha, when we're talking about a person who has ignored dine mamanot, someone who has ignored the monetary um, regulation that was you know, issued against him. But in this case, we're talking about disrespect. And disrespect, says Abai, which is interesting that it's Abai, right? Because he's the one asking the question, he comes back to say the answer, or the answer that he believes anyway, is says once you're dealing with disrespect, it's not, it doesn't make sense to release him early. Meaning make sure that the period of ostracizing stays in effect for the 30 days. Alma Kasavar Abai, so the Gemara now comments about Abai's position. Hani The position seems to be that Abai's position is that if three people have ostracized one, right? 
then three others cannot come to release the the person who's being ostracized. Meaning he's concerned about releasing the butcher from being from from this status of being ostracized. It's not that he's giving it to someone else. He's going to handle it. Abai is going to handle it. So this, you know, then this Gemara veers into much more complicated discussion over three versus one and how you establish something to begin with. But the piece that I really find very interesting about this is, A, it's so real life, right? Meaning the fact that there is a butcher who is disrespectful to a sage who then gets in trouble for it, but then he goes to make nice. And at the end of the day, literally at the end of the day, they say, no, you have to have 30 days here because uh, this is now my commentary. (coughs) The fact that the butcher goes to make nice to the person that he's insulted is a little bit hard to say that he has revamped everything. Meaning, I think this is a problem of, you know, an act of disrespect, as opposed to simply, you know, paying up or something if you had a an obligation, a chov that you had to pay. Because what happens? Of course he's going to go and make nice. But to what extent do we say, well, we're going to believe him because because he bothered to do it? On the other hand, isn't he bothering to do it because he wants everybody's business? He doesn't want to be ostracized. And so he has such a vested interest, I think, in making sure that he has appeased Tuvi's bless him. I'm sorry, I closed my book. Right. But right, the idea is that he he's still here um in the status of having acted inappropriately. And I feel like Abai's concern here, the distinction between Mamanot property versus disrespect, I feel is like it's very sound. I don't know. It rang true for me that there's something more that needs to be done. Then, as opposed to saying, oh, we have a technical means to end this period of ostracizing, so let's do it. And Abai says, wait a minute, we need to let this run its natural course or its halachic course because of the action, you know, because of what this guy did to begin with. Um, Which I think, you know, again, not everybody gets ostracized. It's not a normal status. So, I, you know, I love this stuff because I think it shows us, like, sort of just how human the interactions were there. I think we could see many of these same scenarios that are recounted here played out in our own communities, our own shul, right? Like these are the people we know, you know, who, and I think it's also something to see that like we see these rabbis get insulted sometimes and that's also okay. Like that's part of human nature. Like they don't automatically be like, oh, I just forgive that person. They're a little bit mocked on their kavod. Um, and I, I, I believe that probably comes from the great respect they have for Torah, but they want to be treated a certain way. And we really see that here in the staff. I think that's a fair point also. But it, but nobody's saying that he was affronted, you know, inappropriately. Right. The butcher is at fault here. Oh, unless for you sure. But I but I think what's interesting is, is, you know, there's a whole concept and let's say the more yeshivish world of what we call being mevatel, which I've been very interested in from a psychological point of view, which talks about like, you just don't get angry at things, right? Like you're mevatel, you you let it go. And it's interesting, like here, something that we're seeing is, is that like, in order to create a certain order and a certain integrity to like Torah and respecting Torah, you know, we treat people a certain way and we have to think about how we talk to certain people. And if you don't do that right, you will be held accountable <laughs> for that. I think that that's fair. And I, I think also the fact that 
listen, it's not just about how great each of these members of Chazal are. They are sages. That means they're representing Torah. The disrespect to one of Chazal is disrespect that goes beyond like, oh, my, you know, I'm offended because I'm a person. It's there's a, an affront, potentially anyway, an affront to or disrespect to the Torah that that person is, you know, right. walking around embodying or representing or whatever. And I think that that's part of it. I don't think this is just like, you know, I so-and-so was mean to me. I, it doesn't feel that way anyway. Right. No, that I agree with. So I'm going to go into another part. And again, there's so many stories here that we could have read. Um, but I'm going to get into a part that's at the bottom of the top, which then wants to contrast sort of how some of the, this was played out in Babel versus Eretz Yisrael, right? Amar Rav Chisa says that our Nidui of Babel is like the Nizifa of Eretz Yisrael. Right? And the Nizifa of Eretz Yisrael, right? The Gemara basically asks, is it, uh, you know, is it only seven and no more? So in other words, uh, in Eretz Yisrael, the, the rabbis there, uh, I guess were sort of treated to have a little bit more weight, right? And we've always talked about this, that there's sort of always this tension between Babel and Eretz Yisrael. So in Eretz Yisrael, right, they get, you know, what, what happens there, right? Their Nazifa is a little bit stricter than the Nidui of Babel. Um, and so, and what they teach us is that the Nazifa that takes place in Eretz Yisrael, you know, the question is, is it seven days? Right, so Rabbi Shimon, who, by the way, is the son of Rabbi Huda Nasi, and this is going to be important when we see the stories that we talk about. And Bar Kapra, they were sitting and studying. Kasha Luhushma'ata, and what happened? They had a certain halacha that they it was difficult for them to understand. Amorle Rabbi Shimon le Bar Kapra, so Rabbi Shimon said to Bar Kapra, Davarzet Sarich Rabbi. This needs Rabbi. Now he's talking about his father, right? This needs Rabbi. We need Rabbi Huda Hanasi to explain this to us. Amar le bar kapra le rabbi shimon, so rabbi shimon bar, so bar kapra says rabbi shimon, uma, 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 rabbi, right? He basically says about the nasi, you know, what did, what could he say about this? In other words, he's saying, could he really add to this? Is he really going to help sob our kasha? Azar amar le labua. So rabbi shimon goes and tells his father what happens. Ikpad, and he gets angry. Atza bar kapra le itchazuye le. And bar kapra comes at some point to visit rabbi huda nasi. Amar Leh, and he says to him, Bar Kapra, Eni Markicha Me'olam, I don't recognize you, right? I don't know you at all. I mean, think about what a harsh statement that is to say, right? Like, I don't know you. I'm going to, like, basically ignore you, okay? So he understood that he had taken his statement to heart, right? Literally, meaning he was insulted, okay? And it's interesting that that's the language, and I think that was part of the point I was making, Anne. It's not that it's Yadah that he insulted him. It's he understood that Rabbi Huda was insulted, right? So I, I, I don't right, know. Right, I think right. there is a nuance there that's important. And he did Nazifa for 30 days. So a couple things here. I think it's interesting to see that people treated the Nasi disrespectfully. The point of the story is to show that this Nazifa was not seven days, but it was actually 30 days. And again, I think there is something about the language here it's not that Bar Kapra says, oh, I said something insulting. It's more that, you know, he, ins- that, that whatever it was that he said was interpreted as insulting to Rabbi Huda Nasi. And I think this t- teaches us something 
very, very important. I often have this disagreement with my husband, which is sort of like when people say something that's hurtful to you or upsetting to you, if they didn't mean it to be ill intentioned, are you supposed to sort of just like shrug your shoulders and be like, oh, but they didn't mean it. This Gemara is actually saying you are held to that responsibility. Like if you did say something and even if you didn't mean it, right, you just meant it as an offhand comment, but somebody gets insulted or upset by it, you're responsible for it. And Bar Kappar wasn't responsible for it, right? He saw that Rabbi Yudan Nasi was insulted by what he said. And now he had to do Nazifa. It's interesting. There's no, he doesn't give any defense or anything. He just sort of accepts it because he sees how Rabbi Yudan Nasi responded to him. Uh, so then now they have another story to illustrate this. Rabbi Yudan Nasi made a decree that nobody should teach Torah in the Shuk, they explain why it comes from Pasuk in uh, Shir Hashirim. Um, I'm not going to read. I'm skipping down a little bit just for the sake of time. And what did Rabbi Chia do? He went out and he taught his two nephews, okay, uh, and he taught them outside in the Shuk. Rabbi hears this. Rabbi Huda Nasi is not happy. So Rabbi Chi at some points comes to visit him. And Rabbi Huda Nasi says, Ia, who's calling outside? In other words, he's asking this in a way that he's basically saying, like, you should leave the house. Somebody's calling you. Chia, I guess Ia is like a nickname of Chia. Someone's calling you. You should leave your house. You should leave the house. Yaza did not cut Milsa Bedate. Again, the same type of language. He understood that Rabbi Huda Nasi, you know, was insulted by this. And he did Nazifa for 30 days. Again, the point here is, is that Nazifa seems to be 30 days and not uh, and not uh, seven days. Then the Gemara goes on. So on the 30th day, right, Rabbi Huda Nasi sends Rabbi Chia to him. And he later, he reverses it. He said, come visit me. Later, he sent a message, don't come to me. So the Gemara says, wait. Why at the beginning did he tell him to come and then later on he told him not to come? Because initially, Rabbi Yudanis, he said, okay, he just has to do part of the 30-day. And then at the end, he said, nah, we shouldn't count part of the 30-day. He should have to do the full 30-day. So in the end, Rabbi Chia comes on that day. So Rabbi Yudanis, he says to him, he said, why did you come to, uh, to, to visit me? Right, Amrle Rabbi Chia says to Shlachli Mar He said, "You told me that I should uh, should should come." And then Rabbi Yudan he says, "Wait, but I sent I sent you a message. You shouldn't come." Amrle Zera Iti Vizel Iti. So Rabbi Chia says, "No, I saw the messenger who said I should come. I didn't see the messenger who said I shouldn't come." Cry So Rabbi Yudan says about him. He says, and he quotes a pasuk here from Mishle. Right, when a man's ways pleases Hashem, uh, Hashem makes even his enemies be at peace with him. In other words, he's saying it was meant to be sort of the Rabbi Chia saw the person who said that he should come and not the person who said that he shouldn't come. Um, but in the end, you know, so then the Gemara wants to explain a little bit why is it uh, that, you know, they said that uh, he, you should teach uh, Torah uh, uh, privately. Um, and we'll we'll skip that. But but I'm just gonna skip down, and then it says Alma Nazifa Nazifa Nasif Shani. So it says, okay, it says we see from these two stories of Rabbi Huda Nasi 
that Naziva is actually 30 days. And the Gemara concludes, no, it's not actually two. It's, it's, it's not, that was the Naziva specific to a, uh, to a Nasi, meaning that no typical Naziva would be seven days. And then they're going to get into examples about whether this was true in Bubble and they bring a whole story with Shmuel. But again, my takeaway, particularly with the story of Rabbi Huda Nasi is, is that the obligation was on the person who said, who did the wrong thing, right? And if you notice, they don't argue, they just accept the punishment. But the idea is, is they saw that Rabbi Huda Nasi was insulted and therefore they had to take some action and, and had to go into the state of Nazifa. And I think we can learn a lot from that. Like, it may not be enough in life just to say, I didn't mean it, right? Like, oh, it wasn't intentional. If we hurt somebody's feelings, we sometimes have to accept the consequence on ourselves for hurting them and for insulting them. So I, that to me was sort of the takeaway of the staff here. Um, I think that's a fine takeaway. I want to make a brief observation, which is that there's also, a, you know, <coughs> excuse me, going back to my point about the narrative versus the straight halacha, this stuff, and I heard it more when you were reading than I when I was preparing, I just wasn't paying attention enough, is that this is where we get all the Aramaic, right? This is the next generation or two generations later, whatever, where they're, where I really, this is, I'm, I'm, more and more convinced that this is the narrative brought to illustrate the previous stuff. That's one thing. The other thing I was just going to say is that I think it makes, you know, this whole discussion over what do you do if you're uh, offended, insulted, whatever, it goes both ways, right? Meaning the, the taking a stand when you have been hurt is one thing that I think, I think you're right that we don't always appreciate the nuance and the need for that. There's also the other side, which is like, Try not to, you know, try to live in accord with the people around you, which I, I'm not sure that that's as much of a focus here. Yeah, I, I, I would agree with that. But I think, you know, each of these stories, and I'm sorry that we couldn't read the whole top, are really worth sort of their own deep dive. Because whenever we learn halacha from narrative, it's a very different way, right? Like yesterday, the whole point was to learn it from Sukim. Today, we're learning it by example. Um, and I think that there's a lot to learn. Just, I think it's memorable this way, in a different kind of way. Memorizing a chart is not the same thing as thinking about the butcher and Rav Tavi and your case, like, and all the other cases on the daf. Like, if we took the time, they're they're picturesque. They they stay with you. Well, that's our daf discussion for the day. Rank us reviews on all major podcasts. Thank you to Rabbi Michelle Farber for hosting us on the Hadron website. Let us know what you thought about the staff on our Talking Talmud Facebook page. And until tomorrow, go and learn. 